0: Hello, America, and welcome to the Sunday Brunch Edition of John Solomon Reports. That's right. It's time to ease into Sunday. I know there's some football, maybe some wine sipping or driving through the mountains and looking at the colors changing on the trees. But if you're listening, whatever you're doing, first off, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Just the News. Thanks for making John Solomon Reports a success. We try to have a conversation and get you facts and then let you make up your own mind. And today We've got the perfect lineup to accomplish that. First up, Congressman James Comer, the ranking Republican on House Oversight Committee, the man who could be its chairman in just a few short weeks if Republicans win the November elections. He's here to talk about what's at the top of his agenda. And let me tell you one of the things that is, this is one of the headlines. Republicans are doubling down and they're going to investigate federally sanctioned censorship. They want to get rid of it. James Comer is going to talk all about that on the election. Then we're going to do a wrap-up of what was an incredibly dramatic week on the Igor Danchenko trial, the last trial most likely for Special Prosecutor John Durham. Bombshell after bombshell that really put the FBI on trial right alongside Igor Danchenko, the Russian analyst accused of lying to the bureau. The Steele dossier, the FBI, the Crossfire Hurricane team all come out of the first week of the trial as big losers. And one guy who knows how to call it straight – former FBI Assistant Director for Intelligence, Kevin Brock. He's here joining us. Had a great conversation with him. You're going to like that. Then we're going to take a tour into Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, where some of the most important races, in fact, where the U.S. Senate control may ultimately be determined. We've got Doug Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor, talking about all going on in that state, including how crime has become an undertow to the election issues in that state. A big one there. Then... Ali Safavi, he is one of the longtime leaders of the Iranian resistance movement, the Iranians who want to restore their country to freedom, to rip it from the hands of the mullahs. He is a leader in the National Council for Resistance of Iran. He's going to join us to give us an update on nearly the 30th day. We're almost 30 days into these mass protests, mass strikes, mass rebellions inside Iran. The mullahs are in big trouble And Ali Savavi is going to tell us why and what America and what the West and what Europe can do to support these protesters. This all started with the killing of a young, innocent, beautiful Iranian girl beaten to death because she let too much hair show underneath her headscarf. That is something that should never happen, no matter what part of the world we're in. And then we're going to wrap up with a little country music from one of country music's biggest stars, one of its most politically incorrect, freedom-loving, free speech-endorsing Country music stars. John Rich here. We interviewed him when he hosted a big party this week in celebrating his new number one hit, which by the way was launched through Truth Social. We're going to get an update on that from John Rich and all the issues around cancel culture and censorship in America and even in country music. One of the things that John Rich has told me, and hopefully he'll say it on the interview, you know what? Country music has gone woke. Not the singers, not the songwriters. But the industry recording artist people, the people who control the music studios, the radio stations, they're disconnected, he says, from their audience. We're going to see what John Rich has to say about that. All right. Let's get started. Quick commercial break with all of our great sponsors, advertisers and partners. And we will get rolling right when we come back. James Comer, the man likely to be the next house oversight investigative chairman right after this message. <laughs> Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Congressman James Comer, ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, he's got a lot of big plans to make sure we keep free speech, well, free in America. Congressman, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me on again, John. Great honor. You are doing a lot of work in preparation for the new Congress. We've had this report in the last week about the Election Integrity Partnership working with uh, federal agencies to censor things during the 2020 campaign. We've got the lawsuit in Louisiana bringing out federal complicity. Uh, What's next on your plate in trying to gather the evidence to find out what the government was doing on the censorship front?
1: Well, as you all have done a great job proving, the swamp continues to collude uh, with big tech and woke private entities to censor conservative views and censor stories that would uh, be damaging to their liberal uh, beliefs. And this has to end. And what makes it even worse is they're using tax dollars. Now, every government agency is trying to have a uh, ministry of truth, uh, so to speak, a division paid for with tax dollars to try to uh, promote their disinformation and block factual conservative information. So uh, when it pertains to tax dollars, then it's gonna be in front of the House Oversight Committee. And this is an issue that now uh, is squarely gonna be in front of the House Oversight Committee. It's a priority for my committee members. We're sick and tired of having to battle with big tech Uh, and these government agencies in in censorship. Uh, It's against our First Amendment rights. It's wrong, it's abuse of tax dollars, and it has to end. And the people who have been doing this, uh, they were doing this and they weren't authorized to do this, they need to be held accountable.
2: Congressman, I want, I want to stay on this topic of, of censorship and disinformation and, and things like that. For a long time, we were told that the Hunter Biden laptop was dis or misinformation, and a lot of things have been revealed from that. Um, I, I think that Joe Biden has been uh, protected by mainstream media to some degree, these uh, great supportive dad voicemails and, and all of the issues pertaining to Hunter Biden's drug uh, problems. But there's a whole nother realm of issues that I imagine you are going to want to tackle in the new Congress, these uh, overseas deals, Rosemont Senecum, CEFC, Burisma, all of these. It seems like the charges put forth against Hunter Biden or, or that will likely be put forth. It um, seems like those pale in comparison to some of these other issues that I know you've spoken about. Are you going to tackle those in, in January?
1: Yes. And what we're hearing out of The Washington Post and the rumors that we're hearing uh What Hunter Biden is going to be uh, indicted on, this is small potatoes. Uh, Lying on a gun application, tax evasion. These these are things that we've known about for a long time. I don't really care about those things. We're investigating Hunter Biden not to get Hunter Biden. We're investigating Hunter Biden because he's a national security threat. And, you know, when CNN interviews the president of the United States last night to talk about Hunter Biden and they talk about his his, uh, gun violation, and they don't mention the millions of dollars that he received from uh, a Chinese energy company, which is now the uh, uh, American version of Enron. It's folded because it was uh, you know, completely uh, filled with uh, cooked books. And, and then you look at the millions of dollars he received from, from Russia, and who knows what went on with that Ukrainian energy company. All these uh, millions of dollars of, of transactions with our adversaries around the world uh, this is what is important. You know, it, it's it's illegal to be an undisclosed foreign agent. Uh, that to me is what it looks like Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's uncle Jim have been doing for years. They've been profiting off the Biden name. They've been serving as a lobbyist for, for foreign countries and for, for companies that, uh, that normal Americans wouldn't be allowed to do business with to try to help them navigate the, the government bureaucracy. That's a lobbyist. That's what we call a foreign agent. You, number one, you have to be disclosed. You have to be registered to be a foreign agent. But number two, and this is the big problem for Joe Biden, it's illegal for immediate family members of high-ranking government officials from, from Congress all the way up to the Vice President and the President of the United States to have family members who are foreign agents. So this is a big problem for Hunter Biden. We've mentioned the 150 bank violations that he has. That's the banks notifying the federal government that we're pretty certain our client has committed a crime. These are the things that we're looking into. These are serious accusations. This isn't just some little nickel-dime, uh, he lied on an application to purchase a gun. This These are serious, serious crimes and that, that pose a risk to every American. You know, when you see Joe Biden have an America last energy policy that's uh, China first and America last, you wonder, why is he doing that? Maybe it's because he's compromised because of his son's shady business dealings. So these are the things that we're going to look into in a Republican majority. These are the things that we're going to use our subpoena power to try to get to the bottom of, to determine for the American people, if in fact Joe Biden's been compromised because of Hunter Biden's shady business dealings.
0: Yeah, such an important storyline for the American people to have, and they didn't get it in 2020 because of censorship, right? The FBI, according to Mark Zuckerberg, uh, we have the FBI, State Department, Homeland Security Department, private entities that were working with them. Uh, Robbie Mook, campaign former campaign manager for Hillary Clinton, he's got a partnership that's working yep. with uh, the agencies. Between now and when Republicans potentially take control of these committees, will you send any preservation letters? Will you try to get evidence protected and preserved even before the new Congress comes in?
1: Yes, sir. We've already done that. We've requested about 520 specific documents. We've asked for those documents to be preserved. We've requested the documents and the administration never responded. So on November the 9th, assuming the election goes our way, and we have a red wave and we flip the House of Representatives, then we're going to send another letter just to remind them, John, that we've already requested these documents. We, we expect them to be preserved and then presented to us the first week of January when we take the majority, because these are going to be priorities for our Republican Oversight Committee. That's important.
2: Good. So no excuses. No, the dog no ate my uh, preserved papers. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about um, the the optics and, and the politics of things, especially pertaining to uh, this Danchenko trial that's ongoing. Um, when the Russian narrative first emerged, in the court of public opinion, especially on the left side of the aisle, uh, basically already convicted President Trump. Even with Robert Mueller's investigation, when he didn't find anything, it did, still didn't change public opinion, and it still hasn't in some sectors of American American society. Because I still hear "Russia, Russia, Russia." Mm-hmm. With this trial, with the revelation of the million dollars to corroborate a dossier that ultimately couldn't be corroborated, and therefore no million dollars from the FBI, does it change public opinion? And honestly, at this point, politically, optimistic Does it matter if it changes public opinion?
1: Well, unfortunately, I don't think it changed public opinion a lot, but that's going to be our job uh, in oversight and Jim Jordan's job on the Judiciary Committee. We're going to have these people in front of the committee and they're going to explain uh, why they made the bad decisions that they made. Why did they put so much emphasis on the Steele dossier uh, when we now know it was complete fiction? How did they not figure that out? Were they incompetent? or did they just make a mistake? If so, who's gonna be held accountable? These are the questions that we have. And then why did you offer him a million dollars to prove a document that you've been using for the past four years to try to persecute the sitting president of the United States? I mean, there's so many things that are bad here with what the FBI has done uh, with respect to uh, the Russian disinformation campaign led by Adam Schiff. So I think that uh, it's our responsibility on day one yeah. to provide credible oversight, to answer these questions, to give people an opportunity, That's be right. fair and balanced, let them explain what
0: happened. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Kevin Brock, former FBI boss, he's gonna make sense of the Danchenko trial and all the things we learned about the FBI this week. and protect your most important asset, the equity, in
3: your home. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door.
0: Welcome back, America. There's been an extraordinary storytelling going on in a federal courtroom in Alexandria, Virginia. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans aren't seeing it because the mainstream media is not covering it. But the trial of Igor Danchenko is more than just a case against the man accused of lying to the FBI. All along, Special Prosecutor John Durham has used this trial to tell us of the flaws, the failures, the omissions, and the downright lack of curiosity that the FBI showed in full display during the Russia collusion case that began six years ago. Uh, helping us make sense of some bombshell revelations this week is our good friend, the former FBI assistant director for intelligence, Kevin Brock. Kevin, great to have you back on the show.
4: Always good to be with you, John. Thanks for having
0: me. It's an honor to have you on. I want to ask you about something that occurred last night and again today. Revelation that there was an analyst on the the team that validates sources, checks to see if sources are telling the truth or not, that warned her colleagues in the FBI that Igor Danchenko might be a Russian agent injecting disinformation into that. It's so extraordinary because... Through two years ago, we learned from some declassified documents that the CIA gave an identical warning about Russian disinformation coming into the Steele dossier, the network. What are your thoughts? I know you've seen some of this. What are your thoughts on that warning and the fact that maybe it wasn't heated so closely?
4: Well, it's uh, first of all, it's heartened to see that the, the FBI has actually created a, a, a confidential human source validation unit. Yeah. That didn't yeah. exist uh, when I retired, and as you know, I hope lead an effort to, uh, to rewrite the, uh, that whole program, confidential human source program. And, uh, one of the things we stressed was the importance of validating, corroborating sensitive information provided by a source, particularly if it's going to be used in a, in an affidavit, such as a, it was in this case for a FISA affidavit, one of the most sensitive affidavits you can write. So uh, I think the, the the startling thing is that you hear you have a an agent in that validation unit pressing. One of the case agents, Crossfire Hurricane, on this issue of validating the information that, that was um, information, the rumors that were present in the uh, steel dossier document and, and insisting that more work needed to be done. And she kind of got the Heisman. She kind of got the stiff armed by, by the agent. And, uh, and they really didn't do the due diligence that was necessary for such a high profile, important case
0: like this. Yeah, it's really amazing in some of the cross exams and and the redirects, Durham just goes out of his way to say, you didn't check social media, you didn't check phone records, you didn't listen to the warnings from the CIA. It seems as though the people that worked on the Crossfire Hurricane team had an utter lack of curiosity about whether what they were being told is true. That's I know that's not typical of the FBI. I've met so many amazing agents who put everything into their cases. What do you think is going on when there was this much willful blindness and sort of laziness going on in the case?
4: Think you're using too many benign words this this to me signaled desperation the crossfire hurricane investigation as you and i have discussed many times <coughs> excuse me it was um not adequately predicated, no matter what Michael Horowitz says. Uh, and so they were looking for a way to uncover facts and develop a, uh, a narrative that would fit their foregone conclusion that somehow there there had to be collusion between the Trump campaign and, and the Russian government. And uh, they couldn't do that. So all of the things that are coming out in this trial indicate to me And it's sad for me as a former FBI agent to to listen to all of this, but indicates to me almost a desperate attempt to create a case where one really didn't exist. That would be fine if in fact they weren't going to intrude upon and a, and a FICE warrant understand is highly intrusive it's an electronic surveillance of everything in your life they can put microphones in your house and in your bedroom under this under this uh, warrant um and to use information that wasn't corroborated wasn't validated and then not tell the the court about it uh was a a gross miscarriage of responsibility and FBI authorities by this tightly held crossfire hurricane team. And one other point real quick, John this affidavit didn't go forward it went forward four different times didn't go forward just because a case agent put it forward there were many eyes laid on this uh, affidavit all the way up the chain uh up through peter struck andrew mccabe i have to believe the director well the director actually signed off on it right. so ho- hopefully he read it uh and 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 nobody nobody raised an issue about the fact that this the source was not the information wasn't corroborated they called the source Reliable in the past, but there's two tracks for, for vetting a source. Uh, number one, is the information that the source provides accurate? Number two, is the source, does the source act in a reliable way? That's two distinct things. Just, just attesting to a source's reliability doesn't establish whether or not their information is any good.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. And that's what the validation team is for. And, and yet that advice gets ignored. There's an incredible moment in the trial where one of the case agents who's handling Danchenko is asked, you, you know, you guys had a uh, counterintelligence investigation of this guy, and yet you told the court you had no derogatory information. First, he says, Oh, I, didn't, I missed it the first time. And he said, well, you learned about it at some point. Did you ever bother to tell the court? And he says, no. I mean, the honor system wasn't even honored a little bit. When you hear these answers, your thought on that.
4: Yeah, it was more than derogatory information. Uh, the Bureau had pretty much established that, um, Igor Danchenko was, if not a, if not a known intelligence officer of the, Russian FSB or GRU certainly suspected uh, of acting on their behalf. Um, he was essentially a spy here living in the country, uh, working at a, at the Brookings Institute, uh, trying to get people there who were going into the Obama administration to provide him information for which he would pay them, right? That's classic espionage. I mean, that's trade. That's uh, tradecraft. So uh, that's more than derogatory information. That's something to be worried about. And um, and 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 the and the court deserved to know that information.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. There are three moments, the moment when the CIA warns the FBI and the president, President Barack Obama. This is coming from Hillary Clinton, Two, when the CIA says, hey, I think the Russians have infiltrated the uh, the steel network. And three, when the analyst says, hey, uh, Igor Danchenko looks like a guy feeding Russian disinformation. Three stark warnings that yelled stop, yet no one stopped. Got about 30 seconds left. How do we fix this? How do we make sure this doesn't happen again?
4: First of all, to borrow a phrase from the 51 intelligence uh, community executives who signed that letter, this has all the classic earmarks of a russian information operation (laughs) run through the hillary clinton campaign not the donald trump campaign how do we resolve this um this is going to be this is going to call for some reforms i'm sure uh and and once uh in all likelihood there's a change of power base in washington this coming fall uh the bureau is going to be probably held to account to to answer for many of these things but in the meantime Durham is, is exposing a lot of things that the nation should be grateful that he is exposing.
0: Oh, yeah, he's done an amazing job telling us the story, just like you predicted he would before these trials started. Kevin, always an honor to have him in the your show. Thanks for helping us make sense of this. Of course, John. Good to see you. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Doug Mastriano the Republican nominee for Pennsylvania governor is here. That's one of the most closely watched bellwether races in America. We'll see what he has to say about what voters are telling him are the most important things heading into the midterms. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this commercial break.
2: Delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
0: Welcome back, everybody. We're going to stay on this issue of law and order. One of the candidates soaring in the polls in Pennsylvania has made law and order a big part of his solution for a state that's wary of it. It's got Philadelphia. It's got Pittsburgh. It's got crime everywhere. Senator Doug Mastriano, now the Republican nominee for governor. He's joining us and he's got a plan that's been selling really well with the voters of Pennsylvania. Senator, great to have you back on the show.
6: Thank you, John. It's great to see you. Thank you, Amanda.
0: We have uh, watched you put together a real law and order plan, and we're seeing people in Pennsylvania resonate around this. They're tired of the crime. They're tired of letting criminals out and having that revolving door. Tell us the messaging that's been working for you, the ideas that voters say, that's what I want.
6: Well, actually, you know, Democrats' failed policies are speaking you know, volumes for us. Even the, the media, which is obviously rooting for the other team there, can't deny that there's a 1,000 carjackings nearly already in Philly this year, that there's, we're on track for 600 homicides in Philly this year, that were the fourth highest in fentanyl deaths, that about 10,000 criminals have been released early by my opponent and the administration as well. And uh, they see this breakdown in law and order. We saw what happened, and in, in, uh, we see the cold-blooded killings on the streets of Philly almost every night. Three officers serving a warrant today yeah. where were at, we're shot. Thankfully, they're okay. Uh, we saw the, the chaos in Wawa two weeks ago, where thirty uh, kids you know went in there and, and did ten thousand dollars worth of damage. Saw the shooting after a football game a week and a half ago. Uh, my wife were in Kensington uh, in Philadelphia. That's the only open air drug market where people are really like zombies, freaked out on, on fentanyl. Uh, as Bernie said, we're, every state's a border state. We're losing twelve to fifteen people a day to fentanyl poisoning in Pennsylvania alone. And so my policy is very clear, we're actually going to deliver on results. You know, Philadelphia is, is the birthplace of our nation, uh, but it, it's just, just filled with crime and disorder, and we're seeing the chaos here. So on day one, we become a law and order state. Uh, our law enforcement will know culturally that I have their backs, but additionally, you know, I'll be working with the House and Senate. To make sure we uh, up the number of law enforcement that are out in the streets and and fighting to defend the communities uh, that they'll have the resources they need. Additionally, I'm looking forward to getting authorization from the General Assembly to serve special prosecutors in the Philadelphia and other high crime areas. So if you do the crime, you're going to do the time.
0: Wow, that'll be a big deal
2: incredible and you know i I just think to myself if if you do a google search of crime in pennsylvania but specifically philadelphia i think it's like 3300 uh shootings in philadelphia just this year alone obviously the wawa incident that took place uh, a couple weeks ago three cops in philly shot this morning um and i think that something like 50 percent of homicide cases end up going cold your opponent um is ostensibly the top cop in the land. He's supposed to be in charge of crime as attorney general. Do you think that that voters across Pennsylvania, Democrat voters who maybe voted for him for AG, do you think they're making the connection between crime and a dereliction of duty?
6: And, and that's the right term to use. He, he is derelict of his duty. You know, he's abandoned his posts. Uh, he, he's unfit for office because he has one job. And as to enforce law and order in a state, and he's turned his back on the people the entire state. You know, I'm making a special appeal in Philly because uh, Philadelphia has been underneath the Democrat mayor for 72 years, 58 years of a, of a Democrat city council. And so every two and four years, politicians like my opponent here make all these empty promises, but the communities are no safer. And so the grave diggers, and what, who's being hit particularly hard in Philadelphia, the Latino populations and African-American. And so my, my appeal is, You've tried the Democrat Party. You gave them 72 years, and, and it's become more dangerous. The gravediggers say they can't keep up with the amount of dead teens that, that they're laying to rest as a result of this lawlessness in Philly. So it's time for a change, and Doug Mastriano is going to come in, and he's going to defend your communities, as he did you know, in uniform, as I did in uniform for 30 years. We're going to continue that service and make sure that you have a, a chance to live in peace and safety rather than looking over your shoulder and wondering if some you know random gunman is going to come after you.
0: Yeah, that's it. And uh, tourists have the same fears as the locals. It's scary because it's such a beautiful city, but they're afraid to go to these cities now. Senator, you just said something. I want to follow up on it because I think it's a really uh, a big idea that people are just starting to come to grips with. These district attorneys that have de- uh, dis- uh, dishonored their office, they're not enforcing the law. You want to get legislative permission to create special prosecutors that can come over the top in those cities and prosecute the crimes that the DAs aren't, Right.
6: That's exactly what the plan is, we, we have to do something, we can't stand aside, so our attorney general is not doing his job, so that's okay, we'll do it for him and I'll have the authorization from the General Assembly to do so.
0: Yeah, that's a big idea.
2: Yeah, federal prosecutors have turned into federal pacifiers and it's happening in blue cities across America. I wanted to ask you, with respect to uh, your big election, Mail-in voting, which typically favors Democrats, is statistically down compared to where it should be this time, 27 days leading up to the election. Uh, do you have any of those numbers and what does it say for your election?
6: Yeah, I do have the numbers. I'm doing it off my head, so please forgive any inaccuracies. But it looks like it's about 40 percent less than the last time in 2020. Um, and, and The number of Democrats asking for the ballots are way down and the number of Republicans is slightly up. And so that, I think that works for advantage, since we do know, Amanda, that uh, typically the Democrats overwhelmingly ask for the mail-in ballots. And so you know, if you think about it strategically, Josh Shapiro is running out of time. If he's relying upon mail-in ballots, he's way, way behind. Uh, our hope is, of course, if you can't vote on Election Day, vote now. Uh, But obviously, we're pushing real hard for, you know, in person on Election Day, if you're able to do so. So we're only 27 days away. And, you know, the people in in this great Commonwealth get to pick their governor. And so don't stand aside. If you don't like the the lack of law and order and if you don't like choice and your freedoms protected, then get up and do something about it and vote on November 8th.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt that's the best solution for everybody in Pennsylvania. Senator, you spent a lot of time talking about election integrity, the media moxie, the Democrats moxie. And then all of a sudden, the Supreme Court comes out yesterday and says, hey, in Pennsylvania, if people don't fill out their absentee ballots, you're not supposed to count them. The highest court in the land agrees with what you were saying. What do you do between now and, uh, and Election Day to make sure that that new sentiment from the Supreme Court gets enforced in Pennsylvania?
6: Yeah, that's a bit daunting because the Secretary of State, who's appointed by the governor, showing you how important this race is. I mean, this is just not another gubernatorial race. We have a lot of them going on around the nation. They're all interesting, they're all important. But this one here has national consequences, and the Democrats understand that. They know that 2024 goes through Pennsylvania. This is why the Democrats across the nation hats off to them, have thrown $30 million into this race against wow. me. Uh, we need the Republicans to step up because if, if we lose in Pennsylvania, I, I think the hopes of a Republican in 2024 become very narrow and, sl- and slim. Uh, our secretary of state though, uh, issued a, uh, a paper today saying basically that they don't recognize this decision. And so <laughs> we're gonna have a fight. Uh, I think the general assembly might take that up. But what this means is very simple you have to fill out your ballot correctly just like you know i voted most of my life by absentee ballot as a soldier for 30 years right. if you did not sign the ballot it was very clear your vote wouldn't count so if you if you can't simply follow the instructions on these ballots the supreme court of the united states says you're, you're you know that ballot won't be
0: counted yeah common mm-hmm. sense uh, you know it you followed it for a long time serving our country that's what people want common sense that's why they like you so much senator great honor to have you on today thank you for joining us good luck in the final weeks
6: Thank you. God bless you guys. I appreciate
0: it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ali Safavi, one of the leaders of the Iranian resistance movement, a member of the MEK, of the National Council for Resistance of Iran, the Western-friendly Iranians who are trying to topple the mullahs and return Iran to a country of freedom and prosperity and alliance with the United States. He's going to give us an update on these massive protests sparked by the unruly, heinous killing of a young Iranian girl just because she let too much of her hair show. We'll talk about that right after this commercial message. Okay, picture this. It's Friday
7: afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome back, America. It's been a few weeks now since the heinous death of a 22-year-old Masa Amini by the religious police in Iran that death has sent shockwaves through the country of Iran. It's in a tailspin right now as people from students to workers are striking, protesting, relentlessly resisting the mullahs that have controlled that country for nearly a half a century. Why was she killed? It's a very simple question. She showed too much here. She didn't wear her hijab, right? And for that, she was beaten to death. Our next guest, well, he's been fighting for Iran's freedom for decades. He is a leader in the Iranian resistance, the Council of Resistance of Iran. It's known as the National Council of Resistance of Iran. And he is my good friend, Ali Safavi. Ali, great to have you on the show.
8: Well, thank you very much, John. Great to see you. And thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to a very good conversation.
0: This is such a historic moment. I think the last time we had a moment like this might have been the summer of 09, the famous Green Revolution. Iranians are rising up together at great risk and personal harm because they say it's time to be free from the theocratic regime that has suffocated them for five decades. Tell us the latest of what you're seeing and hearing on the ground.
8: Well, of course, uh Uh, Obviously, um, the protests, as you said in the beginning of the show, are continuing as we speak. Today was the 29th day uh, of the uprising, which has now spread to more than 190 cities. All of around 31 provinces are involved. Uh, The regime obviously has reacted with brute force. Some 400 protesters, mainly uh, young people, uh, many children actually have been killed, have been shot and killed, and about 20,000 have been arrested. And there are reports of widespread mistreatment of those who have been detained. Uh, the regime has now drafted plans to send some of the kids, you know, who are 14, 15, 16, the Gen Z generation, if you will, to psychiatric wards to rehabilitate them, which is, of course, against every recognized Law and principle governing uh, treatment of children, and UNICEF has uh, spoken out on this, as has Amnesty International. That said, the uh, sheer violence of the security forces uh, has failed to quell the rising tide of protests in Iran, and uh, in fact, there has been a call for tomorrow, uh, uh, also in all major cities of Iran, for people to come out and voice their opposition to this regime and calling for the overthrow. Of the mullahs.
0: Yeah, it's such an extraordinary moment. I, there was an interesting pivot this week by Democrats in Washington. Uh, Barack Obama, Joe Biden received a lot of criticism for not supporting the protesters more in 09. And early on, they haven't done a whole lot, uh, uh to stand behind the protesters at this movement. But, uh, Tuesday night, I think it was, or Wednesday night, Barack Obama came out and said, I stand with the protesters. The sa- about 24 hours after that, Joe Biden filed and said, you know what, I'm done with these uh, nuclear negotiations. Uh, Do you think, belatedly, this administration might be getting the message this is a moment that you could potentially topple the regime?
8: Well, they'd better get it, let me put it that way, Uh, because uh, if what the protesters are saying on the streets is any evidence, they have said, they've said we'd rather uh, get killed by the bullets rather than uh, die of attrition, of, of constant harassment every day of uh, Iranian people and again I want I want to emphasize by the way John that yes indeed the tragic death of Massa Amini uh, sparked the protests but right now Iranians are way beyond that they're calling for uh, regime change uh, the, the, right. the the prevalent the most prevalent chant in virtually every city in Iran that has been a protest is death to the dictator And uh, Khamenei must go. They're also chanting death to the oppressor, be it the Shah or the leader, Khamenei, which means that they don't want any form of dictatorship, whether the previous regime that ruled Iran for half a century or the current regime. So I think it is high time for the administration to do several things. One, to ensure that Iranian people have access to uh, unhindered Internet, To keep the flow of information going and second, to be able to communicate with with one another. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think the administration should make a very clear statement, unequivocal statement, that it supports the right of the Iranian people to defend themselves by any means against this obvious onslaught and aggression against the defenseless people. This is a right that has been recognized not only in the American Declaration of Independence, but also in the preamble to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and because Iranians must be uh, able to fight against uh, the Revolutionary Guards opening fire on them, beating them brutally, and so that they can uh, achieve what they've set out to achieve, and they promise to do that.
0: Yeah, such an important moment in history to do the right thing. I want to ask you about Europe. It seems as though the uh, opinion is beginning to change in Europe. Uh, We've talked about what the U.S. should do. Tell us about the European reaction to the uprising and what they can do in Europe to be more
8: supportive. That's a great question. As you know, of course, for many years now, the Europeans have been sold on this JCPOA trying to provide concessions, unwarranted concessions, to the regime to bring it back to the fold. But, of course, now with what has happened inside Iran, I think they are beginning to realize that the the future belongs to the Iranian people, and this regime is on borrowed time. That is why we've seen Germany, which is the number one trade partner with Iran, uh, has introduced a series of punitive measures that come Monday the EU foreign ministers are going to discuss in Luxembourg, Uh, yesterday some 170 members of the European Parliament uh, signed a statement calling for recognition of the right of the Iranian people to defend themselves. Also some 103 members of the Council of Europe signed a similar statement. There have been also statements by members of the British Parliament, uh, uh, the government of Canada impose some sanctions on the Iranian regime as has Australia and, and uh, Norway and other countries. So I think that gradually I think the steadfastness and perseverance of the protesters on the street is dictating itself and telling the world, telling the Europeans and the American government that they should invest on the Iranian people. They should be on the right side of history, not uh, invest on a on, on regime which is on its way out. And I think what is very, very important, uh, John, what you see transpire in the streets of Iran, the prominent role that women are playing is not a coincidence. Uh, The resistance, the Iranian resistance, which as you know is, is being led by a woman, has been working diligently for the past 43 years, and especially, in the last four or five years with the resistance units who are active in virtually every Iranian city. And today, they are the ones who are guiding and directing and helping the protests move on uh, despite uh, the repression that the regime uh, has imposed upon uh, the Iranian population.
0: Yeah, such an amazing thing. And Masa Amini is obviously the young woman who lost her life and ignited this moment. There's this perception in America that uh, all we see is death to America, these crowds, but those are all staged things by the regime. Most Iranians, particularly young, they crave American freedom, they crave the West. Can you tell us, we've got about a minute left, tell us what the real people of Iran want, not the ones we see in those staged protests.
8: Well, I think one of the very famous slogans that we have heard chanted not only in Tehran but other cities of Iran over the past few years, is when the enemy is right here, they lie when they say it's America. So clearly uh, the people of Iran view the regime um, that is ruling them as their number one enemy, the source of their misery and uh, their terrible predicament economically, socially, because they have been denied their rudimentary fundamental rights. And and so, of course, the regime tries to always portray any form of protest as an act uh, of uh, conspiracy by America and foreign countries, but the fact is that the source of uh, the issue is within Iran itself, the uh, unanswered, unresolved social, political, and economic grievances. And so, in that sense, the Iranian people uh, have only one enemy. The Mullahs who are ruling them, and that is why, for example, in the 10-point plan that is envisioned by Mrs. Rajavi, the Iranian uh, resistance as president-elect, peaceful coexistence with the rest of Iran's neighbors is one of the items of, of that 10-point plan, Yep. as well as, of course, gender equality and equality for all Iranian minorities, whether religious or ethnic. So, as you said, we are at a watershed moment about Iran, and I think it is high time that the United States and European uh, Union and European countries stand with the people of Iran so that they can achieve what they have been yearning for and fighting for. That is a message, Ali.
0: That's a message, Ali, that is loud and clear. We have to do it now. All right, folks, get your country guitars out, get your big cattle hats on. You know why? Right after the commercial break, John Rich is joining us, one of country music's biggest stars and a man who is bucking the industry, rejecting wokeism, and cutting his own path. And I think he may create an entire new way for music to get to you and me and everyday Americans, especially with so many of the big tech companies and the recording companies in the hands of woke liberals. He did it by launching a song called Progress on Truth Social, roared to number one. That's right, roared to number one in all music charts on Apple by bypassing the entire industry and just launching on Truth Social. And rumble. They had a big party in Nashville earlier this week. We got some time with John. We're going to cover that right after this commercial break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon
7: when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild.
5: Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, where well, we'd all be just fine.
0: Stick your progress. The home of country music. That's right. Nashville, Tennessee. That's where an important event is taking place to advance free speech and fighting censorship. Country star John Rich is hosting the Swarway at his home to mark his historic collaboration with Truth Social and Rumble Video that bypassed the industry gatekeepers and catapulted his new song, Progress, to the number one on the Apple charts. John Rich, great to have you, sir. Hey, good to be with you guys. It's such an amazing moment. Just a few months ago, you took this big risk, right? You bypass the industry. You go on Truth Social. You go on Rumble. You take a song to number one. What has happened uh, and what's been the reaction? What's happened since that moment?
5: Well, listen, it's pretty incredible uh, to be able to hit the number one spot on download. So it wasn't just in country music. It was actually all genres. It was Didn't matter who it was, I was sitting at number one for 12 days in a row. Number two was Beyonce, and number three was Lizzo. So that kind of gives you an idea of who we were competing with, you know, the biggest artists in the world. And the song Progress itself was really written out of uh, my personal feelings and frustrations that all the bad things we see going on in our country are being thrust upon us under the banner of the word progress. And as I'm looking at that, I said, that's the last thing I would call progress. I would not call that gas price progress. I would not call the grocery prices progress. I would not call fentanyl in all of our neighborhoods progress. I would not call the border being wide open progress. I would not call my kids being indoctrinated at school progress. If that's progress, they can stick it where the sun don't shine, which is a really nice PG way of saying you know what. So I pulled out an old Gibson guitar. And uh wrote this little chorus uh for the song and I called up two of the best songwriters in Nashville, Jeffrey Steele and Vicky McGee, he both are our are, are former BMI songwriters of the year. Jeffrey Steele is actually in the songwriter's Hall of Fame. I mean, one of the biggest we've ever had. And they felt the same way. And we wrote this simple little country song, and I decided to not use Twitter, not use Facebook, not use YouTube, because one of the lines in the song, John, says they shut down our voices. And by they, I mean those platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. They don't like what you have to say. They just shut you off. So I thought, well, how hypocritical would it be of me to use those platforms to promote this song? I'm not going to do that. So I called up Truth. I called up Devin Nunez. uh, We hit up Chris over at Rumble and said, hey, what if we just launch it with Rumble and Truth? Let's just see what happens. And within six hours of progress being released on those two platforms, it was the number one song in the world.
0: Amazing.
2: I love it. And I wanted to ask you, you know, we've seen the landscape of, something like news media change back in the day. Everybody tuned into certain uh, legacy news networks. And then with the advent of Internet and social media, we saw more news organizations like this one uh, move to the forefront of people's news consumption. And I see something similar happening in the music industry because the old model uh, that that you basically broke free from, where you have a record label who, who basically controls you, your likeness, your image, your music. They oftentimes own the catalog. They pay for the spends on radio. stations we're seeing that shift into something that you are doing like you did with progress do you see that becoming the new uh, platform and landscape for the music industry much like we saw that type of change happen in the news industry
5: well I do think that that this success of this song progress um, and the way that we did it definitely shows a new path that you can take because you, you just said it very well You've got all these artists, these American artists, songwriters, singers, creative people that they have something they want to say. That's what it means to be an artist. It means it's personal to me. I'm the only one that's going to really say it like that. And then you've got the big record labels that say, well, you can say whatever you want as long as we agree with it. Well, that's not what America's about and that's damn sure not what music is about i mean the greatest music in america always cut across the grain it was always those controversial subjects that became the biggest songs out there and the biggest artists and so the labels are trying to choke that out of these writers and, and singers and i think what i was able to do with truth and with rumble is just show hey guys there is another way you can still compete at the highest levels and sit at number one for many 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 days without bending the knee To their machine so i don't know how many artists are going to be able to replicate what i did but i do know a lot of artists have called me and said man way to go it's cool to see that can actually be done and i think that uh courage is contagious you know and i've taken a lot of heat a, a lot of friends i don't have anymore i don't have the backing of of the country music industry really much anymore and and that's okay uh i would rather have my freedom of speech than their approval any day of the week
0: Yeah, it's such an amazing disconnect too because country music represents an entire nation that loves freedom, loves the things you sing about. They seem to be disconnected from their audience. What is the next step? So now you've broken through a ceiling. This is a major moment. How do you build momentum around creating an alternative uh, way of getting music around the gatekeepers?
5: So since Progress uh, went and had its big success, I've already had two Platinum X. Uh, that called me on the phone they sat in this exact room here in my house and sat here and had two- and three-hour meetings with me and said hey I'm asking out of my record deal, and you're talking about people having big hit songs right now. Wow. I said, you're asking out of your record deal. Why? They go, because they're not going to let me sing what I want to sing. You're out here doing it with no record deal. I'm going to go get another company to get behind me that'll let me be myself, and I'm, I'm going to do what you did. So, so it's starting to happen already, and, and I think that is a very healthy thing. It's very American. I mean, America was built on the backs of people that said, I'm not going to take it anymore, and they, they formed their own country. I mean that's the founding fathers that's the attitude that they had yeah. you know when, when something becomes tyrannical and you can't deal with it anymore then that's when as an American you're supposed to break loose from that and even though it's scary and dangerous and maybe not the most uh, you know uh, affluent thing that's going to happen to you go cut your own path be an American be an individual and make it count and I see a lot of artists starting to do that great advice
2: I love it. And John, you know, I I know that that took a lot of courage to step out and use your voice because, like you said, for a lot of music artists, that that voice is stifled for so long. But there's another artist who has come out and and has joined you in the counterculture music revolution, Kanye West. Uh, I'd like to think that maybe you kind of gave him the courage and the boldness to to step out and, and speak against what has become the status quo in the music industry. Would you like to take credit for
7: that?
5: Uh, uh, Absolutely not. I'm not even sure Kanye (laughs) knows about me. He probably knows about me, but I've never met. I've never met Kanye. But but I will say he's another example. Uh, I don't agree with everything Kanye West says, but that's the point. I don't agree with everything he says or anything everybody says right i've got my own opinions as artists we're supposed to be allowed to go out and do that on our own and if the big companies won't let us do it do it anyway i mean we just proved you can go out and compete at that high level Uh, i just want americans whether they're you don't have to be a musician whatever your position is in life whatever it is you do that makes you happy your pursuit of happiness that is why there are lines coming into the country and no lines going out because we have the right not to be happy the right to pursue happiness, and every human being on earth wants that. But as Americans, we are born with it. We wake up with it every morning. We go to bed with it every single night. I want every American to remember we have that right. Go out there and chase the thing that really makes you happy. That's what it means to be an American.
0: I know there's one other thing Americans want, more music from John Rich. What an honor to have you on, sir. We can't wait. We're going to have uh, the rest of your party mates coming on right after this commercial break. Thanks for joining us. It was really great to have you on. Thank Uh, you, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Love y'all. You too. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages.
7: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
0: All right, folks, that wraps up our Sunday Brunch Edition. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spending a part of your very important time on this weekend with us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the weekend. Watch some football. Grab a glass of wine or a good case of beer. Have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday with regular programming. And until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. Like he always has, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. And by the way, if you need a news fix today, I got the perfect thing. Go check out justthenews.com. Or better yet, download the Just the News app on the iOS or Android Google Play stores. Great way to watch, read, and listen, including this podcast. You can listen to it right on the app. May make it simple with that app. Go check that out. Do us a favor. Download it. Like it. Let America know a little bit more about Just the News. All right. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks again for listening.